0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And oh my goodness, there's just been so much going on since the last episode aired on Monday. I mean, so much UFC news has dropped. We have a lot to cover This episode is going to be a fun one. We have a very intriguing surprise topic on this episode. Stay tuned for that. Of course, we're going to be recapping the season finale, uh, the uh, final episode of um, Dana White's Contender Series for Season 7. Uh, we're going to be talking a bit about um, the upcoming boxing events that are going on. I mean, you have Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. You have KSI versus Tommy Fury. Dylan Dance versus Logan Paul. All that goofy stuff. Obviously, going to be doing a little MLB check-in on the playoffs for this episode. Uh, talking about all the new fight announcements, obviously, and of course, the two big ones. My NFL Week Six predictions. That's right. We're already into Week Six of the NFL. By the time a majority of you listen to this, probably the Thursday night football game between the Chiefs and Broncos should be over. But all the Sunday games are still to come, and the Monday game. And of course, to cap off the episode, we will be previewing UFC Vegas 81, better wise known as UFC Fight Night: Sodiq Yusuf versus Edson Barbosa two top fifteen. By the way, it's, we have a lot to cover, and I'm very excited, guys. The week almost over. It's been an all right week. Been dealing with some things, some uh, thoughts, if you will. I don't really know what's been going on, but, you know, life's been pretty good, man. I can't complain. Uh, the weather's changing, I will say. It was rainy today. Getting the um, company off the ground, of course. I have, um, I'm have. i in a company part of the uh my program for uh minnesota state university it's like the integrated business experience we're called Evergrowing co as i've mentioned on some past episodes follow the uh instagram and facebook probably post more on them And actually i post the same but i know more about instagram than facebook and i will say we do have a tiktok but i have yet to make one I, of course i'm the social media director but i just can't think of anything we should post on there so if anyone has any ideas that would be very much appreciated but Let's not waste any more time. we got a lot to dive into. Let's get going. And we're going to kick off with, of course, your your jab of UFC. Going to be a lot of that on here. But we have had so many fight announcements. Let's talk about the big ones. Charles Oliveira and Paulo Costa, both out of their UFC 294 matchups. Of course, UFC 294, the biggest pay-per-view of the fall season, um, going down October 21st in Abu Dhabi, less than 10 days away now, I believe. And Paulo Costa out of his matchup against Hamzat Chimaev because of a elbow, infected elbow or something. He got surgery on it. I believe he got infected. Absolutely terrible stuff. But Dana White said, let me save the day. And number one ranked welterweight contender Kamru Usman is moving up in weight to take on Hamzat Chimaev at 185 pounds. And to make this fight even more interesting, Dana White said the winner will take on Sean Strickland for the middleweight championship in their next bout. Very, very huge news there. I um, Early prediction, I'm probably going with Hamzat, but is going to be the toughest fight of his career. And seeing how he dealt with Gilbert Burns, it'll be interesting to see how he deals with Kamru Usman. It is kind of funny that the number one and number four welterweight contenders are are fighting out middleweight, and they get the next title shot, but I honestly don't mind it. The UFC's punishing uh, number two-ranked Driscus Duplessis for not accepting a fight with Adesanya, but um, hey, it all worked out. Sean won the belt, and fun fact, um, Kamaru Usman actually holds a win over Sean Strickland at welterweight back when Sean Strickland used to fight down there early in his career, so there's a storyline there, and of course, Hamza Chemaev is just such, such a beast, so entertaining. Who doesn't want to see him fight? The other big one, Charles Oliveira, unfortunately, out of his fight against uh, Islam Makhachev. The rematch, unfortunately, not going down. Charles suffered a a nasty cut on his eye in camp and is unfortunately not going to be able to. But stepping in on 10 days notice, your featherweight champion, the number two pound-for-pound fighter in the world, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, steps in to rematch Islam Makhachev. Isn't it crazy they fought in February? Isn't it crazy, like... February was this year. Like, they fought earlier this year. It's just crazy how fast time flies by. The rematch, no one was expecting. So soon, I should say. Going down. I am so excited for that fight. And I mean, I'm riding with Volkanovsky in that one, boys. You know I got to ride with Volk. I picked Islam in the first one, but Volk just such a beast. Got to go with him. But it's going to be such a good fight. Um, Volk going for double champ status. Islam looking for a second win over Volk and his second title defense, third title fight good for that but yeah UFC 294 slowly coming together I know the middle the the middle card the main card keeps shifting around a bit I'm so excited to talk about that next week though stay tuned for that full breakdown to come in some other fighting news the um UFC uh fight night on December 2nd rumored to be um in UFC Austin I believe it's actually official now sadly not in Minneapolis I I heard rumors that it was in Minneapolis but Sadly, nothing came of that. A lot of loaded fights on that card. But the main event is rumored to be number one flyweight and number three flyweight Brandon Moreno and Amir Albazi in the main event. Five rounds. Brandon Moreno, of course, the former flyweight champion. Actually, he's a two-time flyweight champion, isn't he? And Amir Albazi coming off a huge fight night victory over Kaikar Francis summer. An absolutely amazing card that's going to be. And I hope that is the fight because I. But the, my issue is I actually like both of those guys. So it's going to be tough to pick between them. On a lesser scale, um, Alonzo Menafield and uh, Dustin Jacoby have a light heavyweight matchup slated for uh, UFC 296. Most likely on the prelims, number 15, Justin, number 14, Alonzo in the uh, light heavyweight rankings. This should be a very good matchup there. Devin Clark is probably who I'm favoring. For that, I'm trying to think if we've had any other massive announcements since I last spoke with you all. I know we mentioned that Derek Lewis is stepping in on short notice to fight Halton Almeida at UFC Sao Paulo, November 4th. And uh, actually, yes, uh, Chris Curtis and Marc-Andre Braut will be fighting in the middleweight division at UFC 297 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And as for that Toronto card, which is um, UFC 297 going out the Scotiabank Arena, January 20th, I've been hearing that Max Holloway may be fighting Ia Topura for for an interim featherweight championship. Max the number one contender, Ia the number five contender. And my only issue with that is it would work better if Ia Topura won, but if Max Holloway wins, it just doesn't really work to have him fight Volca fourth time. It just, it just doesn't. It almost would feel like if Max were to win that, which I don't think he would, it'd kind of be like how Adesanya uh, lost to um, Alex Pahera three times and then finally won on the fourth time. Obviously, it felt good, but it's kind of like, okay, it took you four times to beat this man. Not much really going on for you there. But yes, lots of big fights being announced. Super exciting stuff. And I, I just can't wait to see what else it's announced in the coming days. Um, actually, also March second, the UFC is going to Saudi Arabia for a fight night. I know, absolutely crazy. No idea who's going to main event that card, but yeah, the UFC's first time in Saudi Arabia, March second, a fight night, not even a pay per view. U- UFC is just leveling up their game. I know Dana White mentioned he wants to hold an event in the Sphere in Las Vegas, which is this crazy dome shaped looking auditorium. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just. Immaculate. So uh, that would be very cool if he could put that together. But yeah, lots of new fights, lots of events being announced. Super exciting stuff. And I hope all these fights can actually stay together. But I think it's pretty crazy that UFC 294 got better with the pullouts of Paul Acosta and Charles Oliveira. Even though I both like those Brazilian fighters, it just works out how it works out. In the boxing realm... We have some interesting boxing events coming up. We'll talk about the one going down this upcoming weekend between uh, Logan Paul, Dylan Danis. They'll, those two will be boxing and Tommy Fury and KSI will be boxing. I, I was trying to find like a official, uh, I think it's being hosted by DeZan. It's like Misfits or something. I think that's like KSI's brand or whatever. But Logan Paul, Dylan Danis, the co-main event, and of course KSI versus uh, Tommy Fury In the main event going down Saturday, October 14th in the UK. Start time is 1 p.m. Central or 2 p.m. Eastern. I just based everything off Central because that's my time. And I was actually trying to figure out the uh, full card. It's certainly very interesting. I mean, KSI, Tommy Fury, Tommy Fury undefeated, KSI undefeated. But, you know, I just feel Tommy Fury should beat KSI unless KSI can land some wild punch. But if it all works out, I would favor um, Tommy Fury in that matchup. As for Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis, obviously Logan Paul is most likely going to win, but it would be so hilarious if Dylan Dennis won. If they ever fought in MMA, Dylan would obviously submit Logan Paul, but that's just not the case here. You also have Salt, Poppy, and Slim fighting for the Misfits Millweight title. I I recognize both those names, but I don't know too much about them. I do recognize on the prelims card, you have Chase Damore versus Tempo Arts for the Misfits heavyweight title. Chase Damore, obviously, former XFL football player, former reality TV star. I always see that guy on the socials. And they also have a tag team boxing title between Nikelmo and Alex Wasabi, taking on Luis Pineda and B-Dave. I don't even know what to say about any of that. I will say one thing that is a, I mean, Dylan Dennis is 30 and Logan Paul is 28. I mean, it's just, you know, I grew up watching these guys and they were so young. More Logan Paul than Dylan Dennis. But I just find it crazy how, um, how everyone's just growing kind of older. And actually, Logan Paul oddly has a 0-1-2 boxing record. Logan Paul's actually not won a boxing match in his career. And as for Dylan Dennis, he's 2-0 in MMA. But other than that, he has done nothing. A uh, more professional event, we'll say, going down October 28th, Saturday. Halloween weekend, if you will, going to be super fun. As Tyson Fury, the undefeated heavyweight king, Tyson Fury, welcomes Francis Ngannou, former UFC heavyweight champion, to the boxing uh, boxing square. I was going to say octagon, but no, the boxing square. Um, it's going to be a 10-round bout, um, obviously professional for both of these guys, going down in Saudi Arabia. Of all places, I mean, uh, Tyson Fury last fought. I believed it was April of 2022. He knocked out Dylan White in a um, uh, matchup in London and retired. But um, actually, actually, he did return. Actually, I'm pretty sure last fall or was it he fought Derek Chisrora or whatever TKO'd him I have no idea he's been doing his thing I know um Oleksandr Usyk and Anthony Joshua have been calling him out two heavyweight giants so it should be very interesting especially with Francis Ngannou signing with the PFL they have interesting uh, contracts of sorts but I mean I mean Francis Ngannou has the power it'll be interesting to see how that translate into boxing because you know he can't throw leg kicks he can't shoot for takedowns it's I don't know i probably going with Tyson Fury for that. But as an MMA guy, I, I, I won't, I won't, I'm not going to bet on it. I'm not going to give an official prediction, but I do think that if Francis Ngannou wins, it would be pretty incredible. But my uh, my official pick would probably be for Tyson Fury. The event itself is $80 on ESPN Plus, plus which I find ridiculous. I, I just do not think that is reasonable in the slightest. And I think I'm pretty sure that, KSI event is also like 60 or $70. I just, I better things to spend my money on. Like UFC 5 and a new Xbox controller. And actually tough. He's a thirty three oh 0 with one draw. Or um, by guys Got a new 6-foot fin in reach with 83 inches. I'm pretty sure that, um, I was going to say that he had boxing fights before. But I don't think, I think there are MMA fights. I mean, MMA for is in Ghana He was 17-3 and three with 12 wins. Be a knockout. He is just an absolute beast. Uh, I don't really know anyone else fighting on the card. There is a heavyweight match. Sounds like count Lord of the. That's all I got for that. But um, yeah. Unlike I mean for I, I, okay, does anyone know who Fabio Wardley, poleman if you will, for this Tyson Fury, Francis and Ganu card? I mean I can know. I know like my realm personally. I I do mind it. I really am one. I'm such a casual when it comes to boxing. I'm definitely more super fights. Certainly, the undercard fights don't entertain me that much, which I just I find that kind of interesting. Because I'll I can sit through an entire UFC fight night and watch all the prelims, whether they're good, whether they're bad. I just, I just enjoy it. Just MMA, man. It is is just such an intriguing sport. It's so mental. It is so. It's it's different that it's not a team sport, but you have your team. You obviously have your coaches. But at the end of the day, it's just you versus another person, and you have to be physically better than them. And that is just that is more easy said than done. But, yes, Francis Ngannou, of course, taking on Tyson Fury. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out getting off of the boxing realm we're gonna dive into the mlb playoffs not really dive into i'm just gonna mention my uh, minnesota twins you know i'm a casual when it comes to mlb so i'll just give you all a little info uh twins lost the Houston astros win three to one in the series they'll advance to the alcs championship was that the american league championship series um a conference series i don't know and um, the Texas Rangers, number five seeded, beat the number one seeded Baltimore Orioles three to zero in the series, three games to zip. So you have your uh, number five seed Rangers and your number two seed Astros. Winner will be going to the World Series to represent the ALCS. And I know today, Thursday, October twelfth, the Philadelphia Phillies are playing the Atlanta Braves, which is with a chance to advance to the NLCS, National League Championship or con- Conference Series. I don't know what it is. Um, but if not, then they will probably play this weekend: the Braves versus the Phillies. But uh, the Diamondbacks, the six-seeded Diamondbacks, beat the number two-seeded Dodgers in their series, three to zero, to advance to the NLCS. So the winner—they'll play the winner of the Phillies and the Braves to go to the World Series. And you know, I honestly, I'm gonna ride with the Astros to represent again. I, I think they won last year, if I'm ing- not speaking incorrectly. But um, I'd say if the Phillies advance, I think the Diamondbacks win. But I think if the Braves advance, then they'll advance. And I'm probably just going to go with the Astros at this point to win the World Series. I don't really care anymore now that the Twins are out and Aussie. I didn't care before that because I am not a, um, a uh, what would you call it? MLB fan. I have nothing against it. I just find it boring. You know, personally, I played baseball way back in the day, way when I was a little Zach. But uh, now I just watch fighting. That's what I do. Uh, but, yes, that's your little MLB check-in. I'll probably do do whatever next episode but yeah it's always it's that time of year when hockey's starting Uh, shout i saw that the number one pick Connor bedard scored his first nhl goal last night even though the blackhawks lost and i think the wilds home opener is tonight my for two of my buddies are actually going to it so good for them and you also have the nba kicking off soon no idea what's going on with the timberwolves oh gosh mess over there But um, yeah. Then you also have NFL. So you have like all four big American sports going down at once. I'm uh, I'm always intrigued by that. Always find it fun. Let's get back into the MMA territory of things with a a send off. Actually, it's not gonna be a send off uh, for uh, Dana White's Contender Series season seven came to an end this past Tuesday, and I was debate. I've been debating this going back and rewatching the entire season and picking out some of the best moments and going through them, but I feel like that would work better in like a YouTube video format. I'll see, but nonetheless, we're going to go through the six fights that went down. I watched all six of them, and it was lots of fun, so we kicked off the night. Davey Bittencourt taking on Lucas Rocha in a bantamweight fight, and the um, fight kicks off. Good scrambling in the first minute. Um, between both fighters, I mean your stats for round one though, Davy Bittencourt staying dominant, five for fourteen on takedowns, twenty to two in significant strikes, thirty to eight in total strikes, four minutes of control time. Davy Bittencourt using his grappling to his advantage to win round one, gave him a 10-9. But um round two kicks off and Lucas Roach is like, you know what? This guy is not beating me and hits a incredible knee, knocks him out cold. Face plans some Lucas Rocha. Oh, my goodness. It was absolutely crazy. Keep this kid on your radar. Lucas Rocha knocks Davey Bittencourt out cold 18 seconds in round two. And at 23 years old, he improves the 17 and one. This guy's going places. His nickname is Phenomeno, and he was phenomenal without a doubt. And I predicted he would get a contract, but I'll, I'll let you guys know later if they got a contract or not. But Lucas Rocha got the night going beautifully. And into the next matchup, we had Marquell Maderios taking on Isa Isakova in the men's lightweight division, and you know what? It, it was going pretty, um, pretty back and forth just, to, just for the first round. And I mean, Issa Isakova went zero for eight on takedowns, a minute and a half of control just from. Pressuring on the fence, Marquel was out landing him on the feet, 25 to 8 total strikes, 24 to 8 significant strikes, until he hits him with a knee, standing knee, knocks him out cold back-to-back, not even flying knees, just raising the knee to knock out guys to kick off the card. Marquel Medeiros in the lightweight division, so entertaining. Oh my gosh, just a perfect way to start the evening. Marquel Medeiros improving to 8-1. At 26 years of age? I believe he's 26 years of age. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Mark Roman I predicted he would get a contract. We'll see what happened. But, man, it was so entertaining. Next up, we had a middleweight matchup between Yuri, the Russian polar bear, Panafrioff. on the last episode I mentioned. I loved his nickname. He was taking on Torres, the Punisher, Finney. And, man, just right from the get-go, things got crazy. I mean, Torres goes over, picks Finney up, walks around with him, and just slams him to the ground. It was absolutely crazy. Did some grappling, but, you know, Torres, after he got dropped, I mean, Yuri outlanded him significant strikes-wise, 15-0. No significant strikes in round one for, Tor- for uh, Torres, Finney. Pure grappling. Yuri outstrikes him 26-6. To Torres gets four minutes, though, of control time, which definitely won him round one. Gave him a little 10-9. Round two, they come out. They are swinging hard. These boys were looking to take each other's heads off. Torres Finney, though, two for three on takedowns, 25 to three in total strikes. I mean, Yuri just could not defend against the the takedowns of Torres Finney. Torres gets him down, submits him in round two with a little bit of that rear naked chokehold. The old rear naked chokehold gets Torres Finney the victory. And I honestly thought he was going to get a contract, but we'll see later um, what happened to him? But I will say that he was leaving his chin out there, and it's just Yuri's fault. He could not knock out Torres Finney. Then we had a featherweight matchup: Connor Matthews taking on Jair Farias. Connor's second time on the Contender Series. He had lost. He um he had lost to Francis Marshall last season on episode two, season six. That was. He was back for revenge, and oh my goodness, it was a very competitive round one. I will say. Uh, Grappling Matthews was definitely going more for a grappling approach. Um, striking Ferreros, pretty. Uh, striking was going for Ferreros, I should say, Gets to throwing some hard strikes. But Connor, Connor Matthews, I'm going to give round one two. I mean, total strikes twenty five to fifteen. Significant wise, fifteen for both men. Uh, Connor did go three for four on takedowns for just under two minutes of control time. So I think that's what won him the round. But it was looking pretty interesting. Round two. Another another interesting round. I mean Connor Matthews, three for six on takedowns, a minute and thirty seven at control time. I'll strikes some thirty three to seventeen. Significant wise thirty-one to seventeen. And yeah, just one round one. I mean Connor was teeing off with some of his punches. Definitely trying to take his head off. Connor was doing his thing. Heading into round three. I mean round three was close. Round three was much closer than the other two in my opinion. Uh, I gave it to Matthews. I had it 30 to 27, Matthews, after the fight was over. I mean, Matthews, 1 for 2 on takedowns in the final round, a minute and 16 seconds of control time. 34 to 25, significant and total strike-wise. And, yeah, um, there's totals for the end of the fight. 80 significant strikes to 57, 93 total to 57. Both in favor of Matthews as he goes 7 for 12 on takedowns for 4 minutes and 41 seconds around control time i should say and Connor matthews wins the fight 30 27 30 27 29 28 according to the judges by unanimous decision and you know what i did have him winning a contract i did write a question mark next to name i was a bit bit nervous on him but the ufc always loves seeing guys who uh who lose or even just win on one episode of the contender series and they bring him back they love seeing them win again they just find that very entertaining but, yes, we move into our second and last fight of the night, our flyweight, the smallest weight class for the men. Flyweight, 125 pounds as Andre – oh, Connor Matthews improving to 7-1, and one, by the way. Got to give the controller, Connor Matthews, his due. We go uh, back to the co-main. Andre Lima took on Rickson Zanidim. Certainly an interesting uh, matchup between these two. I mean, round one, Lima was on the attack. My goodness, Andre Lima was just trying to knock his head off super entertaining and Lima was honestly dominating wins round 1 10 to 9 22 to 13 significant strikes 23 to 13 in total strikes um and Rickson went over to on takedowns just could not get it done but then round 2 you know um Tides Tides turning Tides turning a bit um um Zanidem was managed to uh, actually no Tides did not turn actually I I was thinking of the previous fight Car Matthews and Jared Ferris. And uh, Rixen Zanidim versus Andre Lima—they both kind of blended together, just because they all went the distance. But yeah, Rixen um, got outstruck fifteen to nine, significant wise. Twenty to ten, total wise. Um, it was a very lame round too, actually. I have that down in my notes. Lima easily won ten to nine, and heading into round three, um, a bit more urgency from Zinedham. Um Actually, yes, I remember this fight now. Uh, Rixen Zinedem was retreating the whole fight, and Andre Lima was just trying to knock him out with that one punch power. Uh, outstruck him in the final round, 42-12, to 12, landed a takedown for two minutes of control time. Lima easily won 30-27. All the judges agreed. And I said no contract because I remembered the fight was just very dull. But we'll get back to what happened. But yes, it was Rickson Zanidim who was lacking in this fight. Um, Andre Lima was a stud. My bad for getting those mixed up. And then we got into our main event, the final fight of the night, if you will. Ramon Taveras taking on Cortavius Romius. Ramon's second time on the uh, Contender Series. He had lost earlier on the season, episode five, but it was under mm, not so good circumstances. Early ref stoppage. The UFC called him back to take on Cortavius. And oh my goodness, 29 seconds into round one, Ramon TKOs him, drops him with a punch. Absolutely crazy. Ramon Tavares, round one knockout in 29 seconds, one of the fastest on the Contender Series. I have in my notes, yes, contract in bold letters. Ramon Tavares, you absolute stud, improving to nine and two. Oh, and I forgot to mention Andre Lima improved to seven and oh in the other fight. But yes, Ramon Taveras with the best finish of the night, in my opinion, 29 seconds. you got to love it. And then we got to the, I said he would win a contract, obviously. Uh, but as we got to the results, um, Dana gave Lucas Rocha a contract called his knee knockout, one of the nastiest knockouts he's ever seen on the Contender series. He loved Lucas Rocha. He's in the UFC. Next up, he talked about Marquel Medeiros, liked everything about Medeiros. He said he got the contract. Now we got to Torres Finney, who got his grappling victory, rear naked chokehold against uh, Yuri Panfarov. Dana called him a wrecking ball, said he just needs some more experience. Torres Finney, by the way, only 7-0. and oh. He's um. Also 25 years old, so very young. Dana said that he uh, just needs to get some more fights under his belt and they'll bring him into the UFC. But yeah, Torres Finney not getting a contract. Connor Matthews, though, Dana White said he cannot deny deny him another chance. He gave him the contract. He liked what he saw. Connor Matthews, welcome to the UFC. Um, Dana White said that he liked Lima. He's an absolute sniper. Mentioned how you need two to tango and that Rickson Zanidam was lacking. So Andre Lima gets a contract. Good for him. And oh my goodness. Cri- cri- you, which, you witnessed live matchmaking on the uh, Contender Series last night, actually. As Dana White gave Ramon Tavares a contract, obviously, and is making a rematch with Sergei Sede, who beat him and actually got a UFC contract. And they're making that fight for UFC 297. Absolutely crazy. A rematch from the contender series for these guys as UFC debut. I love it. It was a very fun season. Um, definitely uh the these two three of the four finishes on this card were super entertaining. And um, I'd say three three of the six fights were also entertaining. Best moment definitely Ramon Tabaras winning. Probably uh, Lucas Roach's knee, then Marquel Maderos's knee uh probably the car matthews fight and the torres finney fight and andre lima fight so yeah a lot of interesting fights on dana white's contention but that's it that's season seven no more fights on tuesdays probably until next summer or something i don't even know when they kick back up but it was fun i enjoyed season seven it brought me lots of lots of joy lots of happiness it was a blast, but yeah, now my Tuesday nights are wide open. So if anyone wants to do anything, let me know. I'm just kidding. Um, Dana White's Contender Series, an absolute joy to watch. Very, very, very fun. Very fun. I'm you know I'll have to go back maybe look through all the episodes, if you will, and pick out the best fights. But off the top of my head, I just can't really picture any. But yeah, good good cap off to the season. Ramon Tavares leaving us with a bang. I loved it. I loved it. And, uh, yeah, we'll take a little break from UFC for a minute as we'll dive into the always, the fun, the American NFL football. That is right. Week six, as I mentioned earlier, already coming around the corner. Just absolutely crazy. It's just absolutely crazy how fast the weeks fly by. We're already back on with another week, another Another chance for fantasy football to be uh, to be good. But, yeah, we got to um, – I don't know if there's any buys this week, actually. Are there some buys? I think there may be two teams on by. I can't remember. But we got a lot of matchups. And, as always, we got to drop our predictions for each matchup. Let's get into it. Kicking off week six of the NFL tonight, actually, we have the Denver Broncos taking on the uh, Kansas City Chiefs at 7-15. Man, this should be a good matchup here chiefs now four and one leading the division i um, i don't really know the last time the broncos beat the chiefs i don't think the broncos beat the chiefs last year i think the chiefs swept them um then actually they played earlier this year i think january 1st of last season and i think the chiefs won by like three like 27 24 but i mean travis kelsey back in play it's it's just I, i do not see the Broncos getting it done. They're 1-4 now. They've given up 181 points, and they're facing the Chiefs, who've scored 128 points this season. So we're probably going to ride with the um, with the G, uh, the Chiefs. Yes, the Chiefs. That's in my picks. I always do my picks on Excel sheets, so sometimes I have to double-check the matchups as I'm looking. But, yeah, I'm going to need big games for my Zampa checkout. Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think I'm benching Cortland Sutton. Cause, okay, so by the way, I have four leagues. So when I mention all these players, it's across four leagues. So I have a lot of players. I'm in a two 12-man, a 10-man, and a six-man. And, uh, yeah, I'll say in one 12-man, I'm doing good. The, uh, my six-man, I'm 0-5. It's okay. Not not the best, but, you know, it's it's still time to turn around. Like my Vikings, they'll turn around. We'll get to them later. Next up for the week, we have the Ravens and the Titans. Always love matchups like these. No, I don't. Going to be probably dull. The Ravens are three and two. The Titans are two and three. Titans, um, I believe they're coming off of a loss from uh, last week, and as are the Ravens. Both teams suffering losses to the Steelers and the Colts. You know, I just, L- Lamar, I, here's the issue with the Ravens is they're so hit or miss, Titans even worse. But I just think because of Lamar Jackson. That's the only reason I can give this to the Ravens. If the Ravens defense steps up, they can easily stop this Titans offense. So we'll go with the Ravens over the Titans. Moving on to the Lions at the Buccaneers. Buccaneers coming off of their bye week. Lions have been red hot. Oh, my goodness. Only one barn burner loss to the Seahawks on this season. And the Bucs, man, looking pretty good, too. They're 3-1. and one. They're leading the NFC South at the moment. Scored uh, 84 points on the year, which isn't too bad through th- four games. Lions though four and one, 148 points 4. They're on a little three fight winning streak, three fight winning streak, three fight. I- I've said it again, three game winning streak. We're gonna be going with the Lions in this one. They're probably gonna improve to five and one, and at this point the Lions are locking up the division. So I, I don't know. I still have hope for the Vikings, but it goes dimmer and dimmer every week. Next up, Panthers versus the Dolphins. I mean, Panthers are just 0-5. Not much looking good. Adam Thielen looks good. Bryce Young doesn't look terrible. The running back room certainly looks atrocious. Um, Hey, Nurse, a simple tight end, but you're not stopping this Dolphins offense, especially this defense of the Panthers. Dolphins have 181 points for their 4-1. Coming off of a big win last week, Tua Tyreek gonna tear it up, and Raheem Mostert better pop off. I need—I haven't been multiple leagues. I, I need some spicy stuff from Raheem Mostert because Devin Achane is out. Devin Achane is on IR, I believe, which is very sad. Uh, Rookie of the Year still could be his. Heading um heading on down to Louisiana. Oh, we're not Louisiana. We're in Texas. The Saints are visiting the Texans. And I, you know, the Saints are coming off of a dominant win over the Patriots. Texans coming off a close loss to the Falcons. I mean, Texans are now two and three. I'm sure a lot of people didn't think they would have two wins at this point. But the Saints, I mean, NFC's NFC uh, South is heating up. The Saints are three and two, uh, only giving up 76 points through the first five games of the year. That's pretty impressive. But uh, coming off of a big win, I think they're going to be riding high, and I just don't think the Texans are going to be able to stop them, even if I do think the Texans have some better offensive weapons. But uh, we're going to go with Damian Pierce. Um, no, we're actually going to go with uh, who else do I have? Chris Olave and the Saints. I was debating going with the Texans, but you know, I just I, I can't expect too much of uh, this Texans team. So we're going to pick the Saints to beat the Texans. This actually reminds me, i got to do my – Like uh, check-in with Dane, of course, I guess we had, and we talked about NFL for two hours. And we'll have to give a little sneak peek on every team, the season, where we're at, stuff like that. Moving over to Atlanta from Texas, we go to the uh, Commanders at the Falcons. Commanders, oh my goodness. I don't know if they're going to come out for redemption or if they just suck all of a sudden. But they're now two and three, three three-fight um. I keep saying that. I'm going to be saying that in a bit. But three-game losing streak after starting a perfect 2-0. and oh, Just lost to the Bears by 20 at home. Sam Howell. Sam Howell was looking good. Logan Thomas was looking good. But, I mean, I don't know what the issue is. Probably the defense. The defense is probably the issue. Except for Chase Young. Chase Young is good on the defensive line. But other than that, not much. As for their opponent, the Falcons, I mean, 3-2. and two. Decent team, you know they're three. They are they're three and two. They have three wins, but their points for to points against is eighty three to ninety six. So they're actually minus thirteen, for for their points for to points against, which is pretty funny as a three and two team. You know I, uh, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna say the Falcons. I'm gonna say the Falcons win at home. They get one at home. I just think the Commanders are, are just. I think Bijan and Ty can run through, the uh, I mean. But actually, it was the backfield that was given. D.J. Moore popped off. So if Terry McLaurin, no, if um, Drake London, maybe Kyle Pitts could get some stuff done, Falcons could shred the backfield. But I just think in general, I'm going to go with this Falcons team at home against a commander's team who's on a three-game losing streak. Next up, we have the Colts at the Jaguars. We're heading on to Jacksonville. I wish I was in Florida. But yes, a, uh, no, nah, this this divisional. It is divisional. Jaguars three and two, Colts three and two, tied top the AFC South. Jaguars on a little two-game winning streak. Colts coming off a big win over um. Oh my gosh, we mentioned who the Colts played last week. They beat the uh, Titans. It was yes, they beat the Titans. Uh, Zach Moss is looking like a stud for this Colts team, and I mean Anthony Richardson. Out on IR, I believe. You got Gardner Minshew, though. He's super talented. But this Jaguars team slowly finding themselves. Calvin Ridley always having a good game. Christian Kirk always popping off when uh, Zay Jones can partake. He's always a weapon. Evan Ingram even at the tight end position. And Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne tearing it up. I'm going with the Jaguars over the Colts. I just, I, I just got something about this Jaguars team. I think they're going to do well. Another one of my interesting picks of uh, this week, week six, Seahawks at Bengals. I'm going to go with the Seahawks. I'm actually going to go with the Seahawks. Coming off of a bye week, this team, um, I mean, the Bengals, by the way, two and three, you know, kind of rebuilding. They're coming off of a win on Monday night. But, uh, man, this Seahawks team, three and one, coming off the bye, a little three-game winning streak. Got a plus, uh, plus 20. And the points four to points against 111-91. And to and Yeah, I mean, Kenneth Walker's looking good. DK's looking good. Geno slinging the ball. Defense even not looking too shabby. We're going to go with the um, Seahawks. But honestly, don't underestimate the Bengals at home. I just got to pick one upset of the week. I mean, obviously, Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow could tear through. The Seahawks defense, but we'll see what happens. And then we'll get on to my favorite matchup of the week every single week as my Minnesota Vikings visit the rival Chicago Bears. And I know some people are going to sleep on us this week saying, okay, you know, Chicago, they're coming off of a win. Vikings are 1-4, but guess what? The Bears are 1-4, all right? And when the Vikings, Vikings are minus 12 in points for to points against, we have 110 points for, 122 points against. The Bears have 115 points for and 157 points against, all right? They are minus 42, okay? We are better than this Bears team. We're going to humble Justin Fields, and we're going to take out the Bears, and we're going to move to 2-4, and and we'll be feeling much better confidence-wise. But, yes, we're going with the Vikings, even though Justin Jefferson isn't playing. We still got Jordan Asson. We got K.J. Osborne. You got Hawkinson. You got Noel out there. I mean Powell out there now. I mean, this Vikings team can get it done. Plus, Khalil Herbert's hurt. Um, Rashawn Johnson's hurt. I mean, as long as we lock down DJ Moore, we should be chilling. So, Vikings, I'm going to win. That's probably my lock of the week, personally. Keeping it rolling and keeping their season rolling, the 49ers are going to head down to Cleveland. Actually, head over to Cleveland from uh, San Francisco and probably run a train through uh, whatever's going on with the Browns. The 49ers, the number one team in the league, 5-0, 167 points for only 68 points allowed. That is a plus 99. Absolutely crazy. They have a two-game lead over the Seahawks. I mean, this 49ers team is special. Christian McCaffrey, you could argue he could be an MVP if he keeps putting up these numbers. George Kittle, whining and dining in every single week. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Weapons. Oh my goodness! This is a very talented team. Browns are two and two. Also coming off of a bye week, coming off of a loss. They are plus sixteen in the points for to points against. But I don't know what's going on in Cleveland. They got injuries happening. I mean, you got Miles Garrett on the defense, but you know, we we got to ride with the 49ers in this one. But hey, you know, at home, maybe the Browns pull off an upset. I, I can't I can't speak for what will happen. But it should be a pretty interesting matchup. But obviously, we're going with the 49ers. And I need Christian McCaffrey to do good personally. Patriots taking on the Raiders in Las Vegas. Let me just make this brief. I'm going with the Raiders. The Patriots might possibly be one of the worst teams in the league, if not the worst compared to the Panthers. Patriots are 1-4. They have only scored 55 points. This is the worst offense in the league. They've given up 131 points. I, I don't even I don't know what to say. This is just a terrible team. The only thing I can ask of Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi, whoever plays, is pass the ball to Hunter Henry. Please, please. He had two amazing weeks to start the season and has fallen off so hard. That's all I'm going to ask of this team. It's, gosh, it is rough going if you're a Pats fan. Definitely a fall off from the Tom Brady era. That's all I'll say. Keep it rolling. We got the Cardinals and the Rams. Cardinals visiting the Rams. And you know what? I'm sorry. I was on this Josh Dobbs train for like the last few weeks. But they kind of hit a roadblock. Cardinals kind of ran into an issue. They are now um, 1 and 4, two game losing streak. Uh, minus, uh, what are they, 26? I think they're minus actually um, 28. They're minus 28 points, four to points against. I don't know if they should tank. I don't know if they should wait for Kyler Murray to come back. I don't know what to do with the Cardinals personally. And I don't really need anything of them. But uh, the running back looked good. What's his name? DeMar. Demarcano. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember his first name. He actually had a pretty good, pretty good week coming in. Um, what is it? Um, Imari Demarcano. Yeah, had um ten carries for 45 yards and a touchdown. You know, not too shabby. When uh you have injuries and you gotta work with it, but um yeah, we're definitely going to be riding with the Rams here. Puka, Kyrene, Matthew, two two. They're gonna tear through this Cardinals defense. Eagles take on the Jets. Another interesting matchup. The Jets just have such a tough schedule for after losing Aaron Rodgers. But, yeah, undefeated Eagles, 5-0. I mean, we got to go with the Eagles over the Jets. They're 5-0, 141 points for, 104 points against. Um, but, yeah, nothing really nothing really much to say. The Eagles should probably beat the Jets. Jets are 2-3. and three. They are coming off a win, though, so, you know, maybe they could be riding high. But they are minus 12 points for, to points against. And, um yeah, Sauce Gardner will probably be on A.J. Brown, which should leave Devontae Smith open to catch some targets. We'll see what happens, but definitely going to be going with the Eagles at the moment. Um, Eagles team looking pretty good, and I wonder if the Eagles and 49ers will be meeting before we know it. In the Sunday Night Football slot, to everyone's dismay, we um, have the Giants <laughs> taking on the Bills. The Bills deserve to be there. I don't know why we expected the Giants to be good. Why would we give them a primetime matchup? It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Just another horrendous team. This Giants team is absolutely brutal. Well, the Bills team, 3-2, and 159 points for 80 points allowed. It's a very good team, They're good defense, good offense. Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen always doing their thing. James Cook always on the backfield, trying to do as much as he can when available. We'll say the Milano injury on defense hurts them, but not to a huge extent. Obviously, don't forget about Gabe Davis. you got Doxon Knox, Dalton Kincaid. This is a very well-rounded team for the Bills. As for Giants, I mean, oh my gosh. One in four, 62 points for 153 points allowed. Oh my gosh, I have nothing to say. This Giants team sucks. There are some good teams this year, and there are some bad teams, and I can't believe that the Vikings have the same records as the Giants. Giants are atrocious. Let's get into Monday Night Football though. We're gonna end the end the week with a bang. Cowboys are back in primetime second straight week. This time they will be taking on the Chargers. That's right, Chargers coming off of their bye. Um, good for them though. Good for getting a bye. Uh, Cowboys are three and two, second in the NFC East. 134 uh, points, four eighty three points against. Pretty pretty good defense. Pretty good offense. Uh, as for Chargers, I mean, 2-2 two and two now, a little two-game winning streak, and they're plus six, and they're points for to points against. Herbert is um uh, questionable. I don't know if Eckler's even going to be back yet, and I don't know what to do about uh, Keenan Allen. And I, I can't believe Michael Williams lost, though. He's in, out for the season, a very tough L. As for Cowboys, you know, this offense, it's struggled in games such as the Cardinals game and the uh, 49ers game. But this defense always try and does their uh, always tries to do their best. So, um, I will say that I think coming off of a bye, Cowboys coming off of a loss in an away game, I'm going with the Chargers over the Cowboys. Should be a shootout on Monday night. Justin Herbert, do your thing. We're riding with the Chargers, and then yeah, I'll complete Week Six of the NFL. So who, who's who's on buys? I should um. I should really look this up. It do- it doesn't say like if I, I literally just type in to the co- to my laptop NFL Week Six buys and nothing nothing pops up nothing pops up unless oh is ESPN gonna help me? Uh, week Six buys Packers and Steelers. Oh, so that's actually pretty good because I have two friends that watch, actually have multiple friends that watch the Packers and my, my boy Seth watches the Steelers. Steelers on a little heater. Packers kind of falling off. I don't know what's going on there for them. But, yeah, those are my picks for week six. That rhyme? It might have. We'll reiterate, Chiefs going to win tonight. Ravens, Lions, Dolphins, Saints, Falcons, Jaguars, Seahawks, Vikings, 49ers, Raiders, Rams, Eagles, and Bills on Sunday. And on Monday night, the Chargers get it done. Should be another good week um i'm trying to think of my plans i mean friday i gotta do a lot of shopping go to buy some clothes go try and find a halloween costume gotta do some posting for my um uh, company gotta got be taking a marketing test gonna write a letter gotta return some books to the library um saturday gonna hang out with my girlfriend of course watch ufc probably come back hang out with the boys have a couple of drinks then sunday nfl time should be pretty fun should be a blast if you will uh, Picks-wise, how many picks have I gotten right this year? I've gotten 44 picks. Correct, heading right into week six. I don't even have to do the math. I know statistically that is not so good. But, yes, that's um that's all we got for NFL this week. Um, Fantasy-wise, I mean, I don't even know what to expect yet. It's so much easier to say what I need on, like, a Monday night game or, like, Sunday night football. But as of right now, I mean, I don't know how confident I feel about my team. I hate seeing, question, seeing questionable next to teams, but, I mean, my six-man team, I mean, come on. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Etienne, Raheem Mostert, Puka Nikua, Adam Thielen's getting in this week, Travis Kelsey. I'm going to even throw Kyrie Williams in this week. The Ravens need Tyler Bass. How is this team sucking so hard? I don't understand how we're 0-5. Um, let me. Can I see my points for, points against? All right, I'm an 0-5 team, and I... I, okay, I actually, I actually am the worst team in the league. I can't even justify it. My cousin's 5-0. and oh. Wow, that is just crazy. Who's his team? My cousin has Joe Burrow, Bijan Robinson, Kenneth Walker, Amon Ross, St. Brown, A.J. Brown, George Kill, Isaiah Pacheco. Saints defense, young Huku. I do not understand fantasy football. That's all I'm going to touch on. How is that man of 5 and up? But yeah, that's all the NFL we have for this week. And with that, we get into our surprise topic. What? As always, I'm going to take a quick break, but I'll be back before you can even wonder where I've gone. And we'll get into our surprise topic of the week, which is Freemasonry. Back like we never left. That's right. Freemasons. This always has been an interesting topic to me. Are they evil or are they just a humble organization and it's the final day i have with my cult conspiracies and secret societies book by arthur goldwag so i figured i might as well dive into one last topic it's a long one it's an interesting one so we're gonna read a bit about freemasonry what is this secret society what is this organization the conspiracy that surrounds it is it a cult even i don't know a lot of mysteries about it let's dive in as with so many organizations that present one face to the world and another to its initiates, there is a run of the mill Masonry and then there is higher order Freemasonry. Every day, Masons pay their dues, maybe dress up like a Knights Templar, which are those goofy outfits they wear from time to time. They welcome new members to their lodges, they elect slates of officers, they plan charity golf tournaments, they enjoy the occasional hearty banquet and a night of bowling. And even volunteer to clean up a fallen tree limb that a northeasterner might have left in the city streets, which is a wind or some. Citizens who share a common belief in the essential reasonableness of the cosmos, they come together in the spirit of brotherly love and Christian charity. Then there's higher-level speculative masonry. As the occultist Manley Hall wrote in his book Lectures on Ancient Philosophy, Freemasonry is a fraternity within a fraternity, an outer organization concealing an inner brotherhood of the elect. The Invisible invisible, Society is a secret and most august fraternity whose members are dedicated to the service of a mysterious Arcanium Arconorum. I don't even know what that means, but it intrigues me. So is Masonry really a religion? Walter Leslie Wilhurt's book, um, Masonic Initiation, explains Masonry is not a religion, though it contains marked religious elements and many religious references, neither Masonry uh, is neither a philosophy. Albeit behind it lies a large philosophical background, Masonry is at once a science and an art, a theory and a practice, and this was ever the way in which the schools of the ancient wisdom and mysteries proceeded all masons except members of France's grand orient lodges who which eliminated the rule in 1877 french masonry tended to be more uh, both more occult and more free thinking than its english and american counterparts are required to believe in a supreme being my grandpa's actually a ma freemason And uh, he told me that, yes, one of the requirements is you have to believe in a god, which is what the G in Freemason stands for. But higher-level Masons are not satisfied with mere belief. They are seekers. In their mystical quest after supernatural enlightenment, they might study quabla, read Vedas in the original Sanskrit, and perhaps engage in learned discussions about the Illusnian mysteries and Mithrasium. I don't even know what those words mean. As apprentices proceed through the levels of initiation to the very highest degree, 33 of them in the ancient accepted Scottish Rite. Also a uh, French-founded variant on Grand Lodge masonry. They are not only educated, they are perfected and purified and transformed. While it's not a religion, Wilmshurst, who we mentioned earlier, concludes, masonry is consistent with and adaptable to every religion, but it is capable of going further. For an order of initiation, like the monastic orders within the older churches, is intended to provide a higher standard of instruction, a larger communication of truth and wisdom, than the elementary ones offered by public popular religion. And at the same time, it requires more rigorous personal discipline, and imposes much more exacting claims upon the mind and all of its adherents. But according to a line of... That began with Ab Augustine Barul and John Robinson, both from the 1800s, in the closing years of the 18th century and continues unbroken onto our time with particular vehemence among revelant Russian nationalists and in the Islamic world. Okay, nor ignore, ignore all that nonsense. Masonry, especially illuminated masonry. Um, yes, Illuminati, That sounds like. Is anything but virtuous or high-minded? Oh, really? Masonry's innermost, most secretive circles, these writers say, are fiendishly evil and satanic. That is what I've heard. Rather than a program for spiritual improvement, masonry is a conspiracy to expunge private property, national sovereignty, and individual freedom from the face of the earth. Exhibit one, is their case, is the French Revolution. Now, before I continue, I just want to say that this... Obviously, it's not sum up all Freemasons. This is directed more to, towards like all the suspicious ones, all the conspiracy theories and stuff, being like my grandfather and his grandfather, or his uh, father before him, who were both Freemasons. They, they, it was more of a lion's club of sorts, sort of like a ma, a, ma like just a just a game together, something for the community. The stuff we're talking about here is the more mystical and the rumors of stuff we hear, but still very fascinating. The first events of 1789 were only masonry in action, wrote Lombard de Langrass in his History of the Jacobians, 1820. That's right, Jacobians as in Jacobins. Or maybe it's Jacobins? I don't know. All the revolutionaries of the constituent assembly were initiated into the third degree. Regicide, the destruction of established religion, the wholesale theft of property, all of them were the fruits of masonry. After the Comte de Mirabeau died— he was a f- one of the leaders of the French Revolution, it has been said papers were found at the home of his publisher's wife that laid out the illuminated Mason's plans in full. Here are some choice excerpts. We must overthrow all order, suppress all laws, annual all power, and leave the people in anarchy. We must also buy all the mercenary pens which propagate our methods and which will instruct the people concerning their enemies whom we attack. The clergy being the most powerful through public opinion can only be destroyed by ridiculing religion. All is permitted in times of revolution. What matter the victims and their numbers? Spoilations, destructions, burning, and all the necessary effects of a revolution. Nothing must be sacred, and we can say with Machiavelli, what matters the means as long as one arrives at the end? Ho Now that is something that I'm sure a lot of rich people do what matters the means as long as, the, as one arrives at the end. Very interesting. Um, what else we got? Illuminated masons um, are uncanny resemblance to the secret instructions of the Society of Jesus and the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. They're probably every bit as authentic as those other two documents. Are those documents or, or something? I don't know. I always run into issues when I was reading out of this book or just, in, just looking in general. When you just come across like even more in-depth stuff, you kind of got to go around it. Whether in 18th century France or 20th century Russia, the people in the conspiracist view are incapable of intelligent, concerted action on their own behalf. If they rise up, someone must have manipulated them into doing so. And if it was Freemasonry that was pulling the strings of the mob, still another set of puppeteers must have stood above and beyond them, the Jews and the wealth, according to some belief. Here's a contemporary exemplar of that mode of thinking from the blog of Henry Makoa, Ph.D., posted on October 6, 2008. Freemasonry is an extension of the Jewish conspiracy, basically creating a Gentile establishment to do its bidding. The Jewish conspiracy, in turn, is an instrument of the central bankers who wish to use Jews and Masons to protect their monopoly on credit money creation. Yes, it is. Some of this is true. Macau isn't just some random nut. A child prodigy, he penned a nationally syndicated advice column for parents when he was 11 years old. An entrepreneur, he created the board game Scruples. Never heard of that. A scholar, he holds a doctorate in English literature. And a fervently anti-Zionist Jew, he labors tirelessly to expose the sinister plans of the New World Order. Oh, is he friends with Alex Jones? The satanic criminal cartel, he calls, that has subverted all social institutions and is slowly crafting a brutal global dictatorship. I have heard a bit about that. So, who are the Masons, really, and why do conspiracy mongers obsess about them so much? According to their lore, the fraternity of free and accepted Masons dates back to Bible times, more specifically to the construction of King Solomon's temple. Hiram Abiff, the temple's architect, not the biblical personage known as Hiram out of Tyre, who came to King Solomon and wrought all his work. This is from 1 Kings Seven Thirteen to 14 If anyone wants to know about the Bible, good book to read was said to have died protecting the Order of Secrets. In reality, Freemasonry does, probably does date back. I was going to say it doesn't. It does date back to the craft guilds that the Stonemasons, who built the great cathedrals in the Middle Ages, belonged to, thus why Mason, Stonemason. Its members were designated free because they were permitted to travel across national borders. So, Freemason. Masonry came into being in its present form as a lodge society whose members are inducted into ascending degrees of knowledge in 1717 England. As laid out in the Encyclopedia of Freemasonry, wrote, written in 1908, its boundaries or landmarks included the method of recognition by secret signs, words, grips, steps, etc., the third degrees, including the royal arch, the Huram legend of the third degree, the proper tilling of the lodge against raining and snowing, against male and female cohen's or eavesdroppers, profane intruders, the right of every regular mason to visit every regular lodge in the world, A belief in the existence of God and in future life. That's what I've heard. The volume of the sacred law, equality of Masons in the Lodge. Okay, yeah, I assume they would be equal. Secrecy, they are very secret. Symbolical method of teaching. They do love symbols. Inviolability of landmarks. Hmm, so maybe just not violating like lodges and stuff or just images of Freemasonry. Freemasonry's first American lodge was founded in Philadelphia in 1730 and boasted the young Benjamin Franklin among its members. I did know that. Masonry's non-sectarian notion of God as a divine architect comported easily with the Enlightenment creed of deism, the belief that God created a clockwork universe governed by natural law and theft, it, and left it to run on its own. Oh, interesting, interesting perspective. Which was the religious stance of many of the intellectuals and political leaders of the day, George Washington. And the Marquois de Lafayette were Masons, as were Goth and Voltaire, I don't know those all, Paul Revere, I know him, Andrew Jackson, wow, and James Monroe. I know a couple of those people. Roman Catholicism has forbidden its members to join the Masons since 1738 because of its religious indifferentism and contempt for ecclesiastical authority, I don't even know what that means, and the inevitable conflicts between its demands for secrecy and the sacrament of confession. A band that was reaffirmed by Cardinal Ratzinger, now known as Pope Benedict. The 16th? Roman numerals can confuse me. Be- this was in 1983. But not all Masons are deists or Protestants. If the Renaissance brought a rebirth of classical learning to Europe, it also saw a revival of occult and magical thinking, Arab and Jewish sorcery, Kabbalah, Neoplatonic, mysticism. Nocticism and Hermeticism, alchemy and astrology were still regarded as sciences at the time. Royal Society members Sir Isaac Newton, know him, and Robert Boyle were fascinated by the writings of Nicholas Flamel. I think those Flamel's from like the 1300s, by the way. And the corpus of the alch- al- alchemical texts attributed to legendary Egyptian sage Hermes Trismegistus. What are these names, guys? My goodness. Newton, not just Europe's greatest physicist, but perhaps its greatest practicing alchemist as well, himself translated the Emerald Tablet, the purported work of Trismegistus. So, to clarify, Newton translated this ancient um, uh, alchemist, you know, someone who works with, like, potions and stuff, and this is what he got. The true, tis true, not the true, tis true without lying, certain most true, that which is below is like that which is above. That which is above is like which is below, to do ye miracles of one only thing. Well, that's a very mystical translation. Some of these eosteric ideas have been brought back to Europe by the Knights Templar, according to one variant of Masonic history. The Templars, or the order of the poor Knights of Christ and of the Temple of Solomon, had come into being in Jerusalem around, uh, wow, 1118. Wow, that's a long time ago. As an adjacent to the already established sovereign military order, the Hospital of St. John of Jerusalem, also known as the Hospitillers, who wore black tunics with a white cross. The Templars, white tunics with red crosses, and that all sounds spooky. The Templars took their name from Templum Domini, the church, a church established within a dome of the rock. They were called the Poor Knights because they took vows of poverty. Hmm, how good of them. Led by Hughes de Paine, as the first Templars were Geoffrey de saint omen Payan de Montadere, and a bunch of other Archibalds, Joffries, and Rossels. So many goofy names back then. Though the Templars began their existence as impoverished warrior monks protecting Christian pilgrims from Muslims, their tax exemption and the wealth of their recruits allowed them to evolve into international bankers. Well, what do you know? To their income from military spoils and contributions was to add interest on loans. Some of them made to Europe's crowned heads money which the Templars invested in real estate through, throughout Europe. I mean, that's... That sounds a bit suspicious to me. In 1291 when Acre fell and Jerusalem was lost to Islam, the Templars were no longer seen as crusaders but as parasites and worse, usurpers. The troubadour Rostan Berenguer of Marcellus they don't make names like that anymore. That that name is kind of cool. Gave voice to the growing resentment they inspired. He said, since many Templars now disport themselves on the side of the sea, since they so often set a bad example of the world, since they are so outrageously proud that one can hardly look them in the face, tell me, Batard, why the Pope continues to tolerate them. Tell me why he permits them to misuse the riches which are offered them for God's services on dishonorable and even criminal ends. All right, they all tried to be so poetic back then, but I do I do find that cool. You know, if you you're trying to write something to kind of leave an impact on the world, I mean, you might try and make it a bit mystical King Philip the fourth of France who had already confiscated his Jewish subjects money and expelled them from his kingdom saw an opportunity to avail himself of the Templars treasures when a man named Esquieu de Florian some uh, some accounts I have him uh, identify him as the imprisoned ex-Templar who was angling for a pardon offered to reveal the secrets of the order among the 127 accusations he pr- pre-offered when the existence of a secret alliance with the Sakharans and claims that the Templars have more Mohammedan infidelity than Christian faith. The initiates are required to spit and trample on the cross. What? And they despise the Pope and contempt the sacraments. Okay. next Templar. I feel like he's getting... Getting a bit off topic, the Templars were said to pray to an idol of a deity named Baphomet, probably a corruption of Muhammad Baphomet, is just another one of Satan's um, masters, if you will, just one of the demons, I don't know, just something that, uh, you know, if you don't give it power, then it won't have no power, but if you dive into that thing, you will probably see demons and stuff. Um, They worship cats, how about that, what is going on, I just wanted to read a bit about Freemasonry. Um, a story circulated that they had practiced magic with a maiden severed head. Well, this was all back in the 1800s, so it probably was true. On October 13, 1307, is this a reliable source? Templars were rounded up all over Europe. Most of them confessed under torture, and on March twenty second, a papal bull formally dissolved the order. If no one knows what the papal bull is, look up that torture device. It will make you scream. All of its property in France was common to the king and the pope, and its extraterritorial assets were assigned to the Hospitallers, who we'd mentioned earlier. They were the Templars' bitter rival. Most of the surviving knights were set free. Many joined the Hospitallers, actually, who, who would actually become the Knights of Malta in due course, just another organization. And uh, that would have been the end of the Templars, except according to a highly dubious legend that originated within certain precincts of masonry, Desmola, one of the leaders of it, had secretly appointed a successor. Forced underground, the Templars continued to operate clandestinely, secretly, headed by members of some of France's leading families, including Bertrand du Guesclin, members of the Montemoser line, and even Bourbon Prince's. Bourbon Prince, how about that? According to one account, the Jacobite Scots, loyalists to the disposed Stuart King James II, who broke away from the English Grand Lodge and formed Grand Orient Masonry in France, absorbed by the surviving temples, along with the Ishmaelite Arcane that they had learned from the assassins during the time in Jerusalem. Holy crap. So, all these secret societies are merging into Masonic lodges of their own being. So, it was actually the Templars themselves who brought Masonry into being. Masonic lodges to this day. Um, is um, And Day Malay is actually one of Masonry's great heroes. The Order of Day Malay, founded in Kansas City, Missouri in 1919, is a Masonic Youth Fellowship. Huh. Past uh, members of this group actually include former Speaker of the House Carl Albert, Mel Blanc, who created the voice of Bugs Bunny, President Bill Clinton, movie star John Wayne, and conspiracy theorist Milton William Cooper. Hmm. I always find it fascinating when all these people are connected to Masonic industries another source of Masonic estoterica was Rosicrucianism. rosicrucianism i need to learn about this word clearly which exploded into european consciousness in 1614 stimulated interest in hermetic mysticism and all sorts of neo alchemy just a bunch of hysteria in my opinion but if Masonry's Templar and Rosicrucian connections contributed to its reputation for a religious heterodoxy, especially in France, and in the lodges associated with the Scottish Rite, um, that more than anything else, it was its short-lived alliance with the Bavarian Order, of the Illuminati, in the 18th century that made it such an enduring obj- object of suspicion among conspiracy theorists. Okay, what am I supposed to do if it's connected to all these different conspiracy groups of p- places and people I haven't even heard? That's that's obviously going to raise some eyebrows, you know founded in 1776 by Adam Weshapop, he was a professor of canon law at the university of Ingolstadt the order of the illuminati was conceived as an antidote to the dogmatic religiosity of the jesuits under whose hated um, auspices he had actually been Weish- had actually been educated under that and the politically oppressive monarchies that he helped propped up. The grand art of rendering any revolution, Wishopt wrote, is to enlighten the people. His plan was to co-opt existing Masonic lodges and reading societies and use them as a vehicle for introducing initiates to the ideas of the Enlightenment. The great strength of our order, he wrote, lies in its concealment. No, oh, how about that? Oh, he wrote more. Let it never appear in any place in its name, but always covered by another name and another occupation. Ah, there we go, folks! There's the key. Let masonry never appear in any place in its own name, but always covered by another name and another occupation at least according to a shoe up. None is fitter than the three lower degrees of Freemasonry. The public is accustomed to it, accepts little from it, and therefore takes little notice of it. Next to this, the form of a learned or literary society is best suited to our purpose, and had Freemasonry now existed, this cover would have been exploited, and it might much be more than a cover. It may be a powerful engine in our hands. By establishing reading societies and subscription libraries and taking these under our direction and supplying them through our labors, we may turn the public mind, which may we will. Hmm, this is very fascinating. With the help of Freire, Adolf, Franz, Frederick, Ludwig, and Keeg, I kid you not, he has six first names, and actually I don't even know how many of those are last names, a prominent thinker and mason, Illuminism gained as many as 3,000 adherents across Europe, including such notables as Johann Gottfried von Herder, no idea what that is, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, and Wolfgang Amidus Mozart. Oh, Mozart. Whose magic flute is a replete with Masonic Illuminist allusions. He's actually reputed to be a member as well. To most 20th century American readers, like myself, actually 21st century, Illuminism's goal seems altogether less than horrifying. They're even inspiring in a Jeffrey Soninian or Thomas Painean sort of way. I guess Thomas Jefferson was inspiring. The mean to regain reason her rights, to raise liberty from its ashes, to restore its man its original rights, to produce the previous revolution in the mind of men, to obtain an eternal victory over oppressors, Eternal victory over oppressors could be contributed to the God view, eternal victory over death and Satan and hell, and to work the redemption of mankind is secret schools of wisdom. We must therefore strengthen our band and establish a legion which shall restore the rights of man, original liberty, and independence. Okay. By seventeen eighty five, holy cow were still three hundred years in the past. Internal disusion and official suppression brought the movement to a premature end. Interesting. Washapt would finish his life in obscurity as a professor of philosophy at the University of Gottingen. So is he from Europe? He must be. But many believe that he had simply taken his movement underground, which would not surprise me. In 1797, Ab Augustine Barule published his memoirs illustrating the history of Jacobiism. Oh, we're back to that, which attributed the French Revolution to a school of impidity. Hmm. These latter, combining their conspiracies against kings with that of a officers of impiety, um, occult lodges... Of Freemasonry, which long since imposed on the crudality of its most distinguished adepts, only initiated the chosen of the elect into the secret of their unrelenting hatred for Christ and the kings. Oh, that would some, pr- that would explain the um, satanic, the satanic element of it. If you hate Christ, you uh, could be satanic essentially. You certainly aren't going to heaven if you hate Christ. Love you, Jesus. In other words, to the Illuminati, John Robinson, a Scottish physicist, published his proofs of a conspiracy against all the religions and governments of Europe carried on in the secret meetings of Freemasons, Illuminati, and Re-societies. That's a long title for a book. A year later, this was published, and it became an international bestseller. In America, the Reverend Jedediah Morse, died in 1826, warned his Boston congregation that the poison of Illuminism had already been introduced to the American body politic, sounding uncannily like Senator Joseph McCarthy. We all know who Joseph McCarthy is if you went to school. Would a century and a half later when he brandished his list of supposedly communist subversives, most declared from his pulp, I have my brethren, an official authenticated list of the names, ages, places of nativity professions, and the members of Secret of Illuminati consists of 100 members instituted in Virginia by the Grand Oriental Prince. France. You know, let me just say something about that, that McCarthy wasn't 100% wrong. You know, I compare him to Alex Jones, where you miss so much, people discredit you, but you do get something right, and that stuff that's right is important. Though the panic was short-lived for his congregation, anti-Masonry would return to America with a vengeance in the 1820s. The anti-Masonic Party put a presidential candidate on the ballot in 1832. In general backlash against secret societies, many college fraternities were disbanded. Oh, no, not my frat, bro. Nesta Webster did much to... Repopularized the idea of the Illuminati In the years after World War One. Extreme right wingers Like America First Party founder Gerald L.K. Smith Well he sounds like a confederate And the John Birch Society's Robert Welch That sounds familiar Wrote about the Illuminati as well in 1967 Well that's a bit closer The playwright and anti-communist crusader Myron C. Fagan F-A-G-A-N Fagan I did not say that word Trace the line from Adam Weshuvit through Cecil Rhodes, the Council on Foreign Relations, and the United Nations. You probably are familiar with the story of how one Dr. Frankenstein created a monster to do his will, but how instead in the end that monster turned on his own creator. That, I think that was just a, um, what do you call it when you use something to describe something else? Gosh, my, my grammar teacher, or what is it, your literature, your English teacher, would kill me. He says, well, the Illuminati slash CFR has created a monster called the United Nations, who is supported by their minority groups, rioting N-words, the treacherous transtor- mass communications media, and the traitors in Washington, D.C., which was created to destroy the American people. We know all about the many-headed Hydra monster, and we know the names of those who create that monster. Wow. Let's come back down to earth, everyone. Masonry, like all sorts of other fraternal societies, has suffered severe attrition in recent years. Its American membership is less than half of what it was in the 1960s, and it continues to dwindle at an exponential rate. While conspiracists still perceive evidence of its strength encrypted in American currency, the secret plans of Washington, D.C., and the Lee Lines, which are geographical alignments of significant places important in geomancy or earth magic. Weird. That bind the world's hotspots together, for example, Dealey Plaza, in Nagasaki, and Baghdad, fall on or near the 33rd parallel. Freemasonry is almost certainly on its last legs. Not too long ago, the Grand Master of Brubaker Lodge 675 in Davenport, Iowa, posted a message to his brethren. Due to an apparent lack of interest, indicated by absolutely no advance registrants, the Grand Master's motorcycle ride on July 12th from Sioux Falls to Logan has been canceled. Well, that just makes me sad. But then again... Perhaps he was sending a coded message to the Illuminati. Yeah, that's all I got for Freemasonry. That, You know, here's the thing about this book, let me just tell you, is that I go to read about Freemasonry, and then we're talking about the Knights Templar, the Illuminati. I feel like all oh, these are somewhat connected under one bigger thing. You heard one of the remember that one guy was saying, he was—what um, he wrote, how, we'll describe it under other names so no one notices. You know, if you if you split some up enough times, it'll confuse people. So that's certainly very interesting. But that's a bit on Freemasonry. I'm not even gonna put this in the title because it didn't feel like it was fully on Freemasonry. But you know what? It was super. Actually, I might just for the just for the clicks, just for the clicks. But yeah, that was super interesting. Super. I don't even know what to make of that. I mean, I actually kind of want to join the Freemasons just to see what they're all about. But, you know, I do, I do know you have to pay, like, a, a weekly due. So, I mean, or, like, a monthly due or yearly due or something. And I don't really have the funds to be doing that. I already spend money. I already spend more money than I make. So, I mean, that probably wouldn't be a good idea. But Freemasons, certainly fun to talk about. Always love these conspiracy theories. I hope you were all surprised by that. I was surprised. I mean, reading some of those names, those words, I mean, it can get confusing. Honestly, it confuses me at times. But, hey. That's how it be. But, you know, with that, I mean, this has been a fun episode, been a good one. We get to my favorite part. My favorite part of every episode, and it's usually on every episode, is when we preview or we review the upcoming or the fight night that's already happened, the UFC event. And today we are previewing UFC Vegas 81, Sodi Yusuf versus Edson Barbosa in the main event. As I mentioned on every episode, if you don't know what UFC Vegas 81, the number means, It just dates back to COVID when they've held events at the UFC Apex. Um, It's just called UFC Vegas, and they list the number of that event. Such as when we're in Kansas, it's UFC Kansas. When we're at the Apex, UFC Vegas 81, if you understand. And if you see like UFC um, 294, for example, that means a pay-per-view, which costs more money. So just to give you all a little. And so, yes, we're going to dive into all the fights. We got a loaded card. Um, I think we were blessed with um, six fights, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, 12 fights. Six fights. What am I saying? I was doing some math in my head, but yes. We get a 12-fight card. It kicks off at 3 o'clock Central Time on Saturday, October 14th. So I might have to watch it on my phone. But, yeah, we're going to go through all the fights, give my predictions. This should be fun. So kicking off the night, I mean, if you guys could guess, do we have – Two random unranked women open up the main card. And if you were to guess and bet money, you would be correct because that's how they open, quite frankly, every single fight night. We are blessed with a women's strawweight matchup to open the night between Ashley Yoder and Emily Dakota. And as I mentioned on every episode, all prelim predictions are unofficial. All main card predictions are official and go into my totals for the year, all time, and for the event. So, yeah. Let's get into it. Alrighty, we're starting off the night. Ashley Spider Monkey Yoder and Emily Gordinia Decote. Ashley is eight and eight. Emily Decote twelve and eight. Wow, we almost have a negative record fighter. This is incredible. Ashley is five foot seven. Emily five A two, six inch reach, sixty nine to sixty three in favor of Ashley Yoder. So she's got the size. She's also older. Ashley Yoder, born in nineteen eighty seven. October 20th, doing some quick math, that would make her 35, if, if I'm correct. Am I correct? I don't know if I'm actually correct. Let's see. 13 plus 20, 35 I am correct. Emily Dakote born in 1994. She is 29. Emily Dakote, three fights in the UFC. She actually debuted last year, went one and two. She's lost to Lupe Godinez in 2023. Also lost to Angel Hill. So she's faced two pretty good fighters for her first career um, her fights, Ashley Yoder, been in the UFC since 2016. She has gone three and seven in that tenure. Best time. She was once on a two-fight winning streak. Currently on a two-fight losing streak. Last loss came in July of 2021 when she lost a unanimous decision to Jen Yufre. She's gone the distance in all 10 of her UFC fights, which means I'm going to give Emily Dakote a unanimous decision victory here. Not much to say. I just, you know... She's fought more recently. She's fought higher competition recently. And being 8-8 eight and eight, and being 35, I, Ashley Yoder, I'm sorry. We're going with Emily Dicote. Bantamweight up next. This is a very good matchup here. Chris El Guapo Gutierrez takes on the Mongolian knight, Alatenge. That is right. Alatenge has one freaking name. He doesn't need a last name. Or maybe he doesn't need a first name. Chris Guit- Gutierrez, I think it is Gutierrez. Nineteen five and two is his record. Alatengay sixteen eight and two. Well, how about that? Both men have two draws. Very interesting. Four inches in height for Chris, five nine to five five, and one inch in reach, sixty seven inches to sixty six. Both fighters are orthodox, and both men actually. Alatengay's birthday is December fourteenth. Both men were born in nineteen ninety one. So they are thirty and the, actually they're thirty two and thirty one r- respectively. If I'm doing that correctly, I don't know. doesn't matter. Tenge on a little two-fight winning streak. Debuted in 2019. He's gone 4-1 and one with a draw in his UFC tenure. Pretty impressive. His UFC debut, he actually had a fight of the night against Baragaro Danai. Um, pretty impressive stuff from him. A little two-fight winning streak. He actually, um, last year in April, got a 47-second TKO of Kevin Kroom. He's had uh, no fights this year, though, so this will be his first fight of the year. Only uh, loss is to Casey Kenny, Not too bad. Chris Gutierrez I mean Chris is actually the number 15 ranked bantamweight in the world he was on a four-fight winning streak and um four-fight winning streak and it was actually a eight fight unbeaten streak for him before he ran to Pedro Munoz earlier this year in April he would lose that fight by unanimous decision but you know he learned a lot from that fight and he's um an impressive seven and two with one draw in the UFC so this guy's clearly pretty good um i mean he has that knockout frankie edgar is incredible spinning backfist to budgarl deny earned up a performance bonus chris gutierrez is the guy you want to keep on the map this fight could easily be on the main card second on the prelims we're going with chris gutierrez by round two knockout that's right i think chris is going to rebound from his loss to pedro munoz and get it going so i'll actually jot these down here because sometimes i forget who i pick for my uh main card i mean not my main card my prelims because i write down all my main card but you sometimes my prelims i don't so we'll write it down next up this is actually be a fun one we have a woman's bantamweight matchup um actually before i move on i should probably touch on that also Alatenge is fighting on short notice he's he replaced montel jackson who's actually supposed to fight chris gutierrez so that's another notable point why i'm going with gutierrez Next up, though, um, uh, women's bantamweight bout. Very interesting the women's bantamweight division. No depth to that. So either of these women could clearly jump right into the division with a whim. We have Irina, Russian Ronda Alexiva, and Melissa, no mess, Dixon. Irina, 5-1, and one, Melissa, 5-0, and 5-8 oh, um, for uh, Irina, 5-7 foot seven, Melissa, 68-inch reach for Melissa, 67 for Irina. Both fighters are orthodox. And this is actually Melissa Dixon's debut. She's from England, 5-0. and And of those five victories, three by TKO. But it's no easy go winning your UFC debut, Melissa. As you take on Russian Ronda, Irina Alexiva on a little two-fight win streak. She submitted Stephanie Egger in April of this year in a UFC debut by knee bar in two minutes. Irina is a submission specialist. Most of her wins are by submission. And, man... Name nickname like Russian Rhonda. I mean that that'll get you going. I mean, clearly clearly is talented. Um but my goodness. My goodness. I, I you know, Melissa Dixon, she looks she looks pretty good, but Irina is just I think too too dominant. I mean, she she looks like a lesbian, I'll say it bluntly, short hair. She looks dominant. Should be competitive. We're going to actually go with Irina Alexeva, Round one submission. Just to spice it up. Just to go with some su- um, submissions here and there. And I'll see if she wins. Let's put her in the women's bandpoint rankings. Let's send her up there. Women's bandpoint. No idea what's going on with the women's bandpoint division, I should say. As, um, I mean, the, the belt's vacant. There's been no news on when the vacant belt's going to be on the line. I say we slap it on UFC 297. Julia Pena, Haquale Pennington. Let's do it. Who, who cares, really? Next up, lightweight matchup. I love this one. Terrence McKinney takes on Brendan Moreau. Terrence McKinney, one of my favorite fighters. Terrence T-Rex McKinney. Brendan, the kid, moreau Terrence is 14 and 6. And just to touch on it, as I'll say a multitude of times, Terrence McKinney has never been the distance in his 20 professional fights. Absolutely incredible. Brendan Moreau, 8 and 1. And um, he's actually making his UFC debut, stepping in on short notice. He's from uh, the New England cartel. So he trains from – he's from New Hampshire, but he trains at the New England cartel. I should specify that with um, Calvin Cater and Rob Font, two top ten fighters in featherweight and bantamweight. Um, Of his eight victories, five by KO, one by submission. Four of those finishes in the first round. Brendan, welcome to the UFC, my boy. Welcome. He's an inch shorter than Terrence and has a three inches less in reach, 5'10 to 5'9 and 73 to 70. Terrence is a switch stance. Uh, Brendan is more orthodox. Brendan, um, he's a young buck man, 27 years of old, or of age, I guess. I guess everyone's old when you compare them to someone else. But um, Terrence McKinney is 29 now. Wow, Terrence getting up there. Terrence been in the UFC since 2019, where he will actually lost on the contender series, but then would step in on um, be given a short notice opportunity two years later to take on Matt Fravola, and he would knock him out in seven seconds, one of the greatest UFC debuts I've ever seen. Follow that up with a dominant rear-naked chokehold submission of Fair am before running into Drew Dober and seemingly winning the fight and then losing the fight in a three-minute period. Absolutely crazy. Follow that up with a round one submission of Eric Gonzalez. Then 2023, I mean, he kicks it off, gets brutally flying knee knocked out by Ishmael Bonfim, one of the craziest knockouts you'll see by a knee. Then earlier in July, he uh, got submitted by Nazim Sadikov, in round two after seemingly winning round one, but then he followed that up back in August when he absolutely ran through Mike Breeden in one minute and 25. seconds. sorry, Brendan Marote, but Terrence already went through one Brendan earlier, or Breeden, Mike Breeden. Brandon Murat, similar of sorts. We're going with Terrence McKinney, round one knockout. I just like what I see from this guy. Terrence McKinney, super entertaining. I don't doubt he can make it into the UFC uh, rankings at some point. Still got at least five to six more years in the UFC ahead of him. But man, got to get some, got to string these wins together. You can't go hit or miss every single fight. Keeping it rolling with our women. Oh, Terrence McKinney, official prediction. I keep forgetting to write these down, guys. I keep forgetting. But, yes, moving on to our second women's bantamweight fight of the night, and our actually um, second-to-last women's fight of the night, as we have Tanera Lisboa, Thai Panther. Lisboa, that is, taking on Ravina Canuti Olivero. Wow. Ravina Oliviera making her UFC debut. She is seven-and-one from Brazil with six KOs. Wow. She's actually on a seven-fight win streak. Good for her. As for um uh, Lisboa, she made her UFC debut earlier in May, got around three uh rear-naked chokehold of Jessica Rose Clark. Impressive stuff. Tayanera six and two. As I mentioned, Ravina seven and one. Um, five foot seven to five five in favor of Tanera. Sixty seven inch reach to sixty five in favor of Tanera as well. Both women fight orthodox stance. Ravina, twenty six years of age. Tanera, 32, 32 years of age I believe. So yeah, this is an interesting one here. Um, Tanera. You know, coming off of a big win over Just Rose-Clark, but Ravina 7-1, 7-fight win streak, and we go with Ravina by unanimous decision. Yeah, I like what I see from uh, Ravina Oliveira, just from looking at her, um, I mean, just b- her stats before the fight. Um, but, yeah, and I'm actually going to write down all my predictions here because on verdict, I obviously um, do my uh, predictions. So you can follow me on there, ZR2002, but usually for the prelims. I kind of just skim over them in a bit, which is actually what's funny is because we're actually on the final prelim here. So we have a featherweight matchup between Darren, the Damage Elkins, UFC legend, and TJ, Downtown Brown. Downtown Brown. How about them? Interesting, very interesting. Darren, 27-11, uh, and 11, TJ, 17-10. and 10. Holy cow, both guys are in double-digit losses. 5 foot ten to 5 foot nine in favor of Darren, 72 to 71 inch reach in favor of T.J. Brown. Both of these gentlemen are in their 30s, and Darren Elkins is actually an incredible 39 years old. All credit to you, Darren. Still putting it together. T.J. Brown been in the UFC since uh, 2019, won on the Contender Series. Followed that up by losing two of his fights in the UFC, then winning two fights, then losing, then winning. Unfortunately, he lost a fight the night against Bill Algio last time out in April. But he's durable, he's intense, he loves to bring the intensity. As for Darren Elkins, I mean, this guy's been in the UFC since 2010. I mean, absolute legend of the game. He's lost to Charles Oliveira in 2010, stringed together five straight wins, and not been finished by Chad Mendez. Lost to Jeremy Stevens. Um was once actually on a five, six fight winning streak. Finishes of Michael Johnson and Marissa Bekdich before losing to Alexander Volkanovski in 2018. Then lost to Ricardo Lamos, Then lost to Ryan Hall. Then lost to Nate Lamer. But actually, since um, 2021, he's 2-2. Two and two. Actually, holds a loss to Cub Swanson. He's coming off a loss to Jonathan Pierce by name's decision. You know, it's hit or miss with Darren Elkins. And when you fight someone like TJ Brown, I'm going to give it to Elkins. I think Elkins gets it done. And we're actually going to say round three, a rear naked chokehold. Why not? I mean, this should just be your run of the mill. Somewhat interesting fight to round out of prelims, but I I can't really speak for what will go down. But, yes, we will be going with Darren, the Damage Elkins. Plus, I kind of like Darren. He's always bringing the intensity. He's always bleeding. You know, I always like when these guys are bleeding. It shows the intensity of the fight. But, yeah, let's get into it. This was a six-fight main card. It's now a five-fight main card. That don't bother me at all. Actually, is it actually did they did they change anything? I think it's actually a six-fight main card. I just don't think UFC has um changed their um actually I should double check what the main card is here, gentlemen, because I think Verdict has not updated their card. So it's probably best I double check this to see which fights which fights which fights are actually official which, uh, for the main card i should say because um, it's either a five five main card or six five main card boom got it main card starts at six o'clock eastern i now have confirmation so yes six five main card kicks off in a bantamweight matchup between two young bucks christian rodriguez and cameron and msp saman that's right. The South African native Cameron Samian Christians nine and one. Cameron is nine and zero. Oh. Five foot eight, five foot seven in favor of Cameron. Seventy one to sixty seven reach inches in favor of Christian Rodriguez. Cameron Samian is actually twenty two years old. Christian Rodriguez is actually twenty five years old. Cameron Sayman, a perfect 3-0 in the UFC, one in the Contender Series last season. So dominant. He's currently 2-0 this year, and he's coming off a huge round one finish of Terrence Mitchell. Cameron Samen is an absolute beast. Him and Driscus Duplessis looking to bring belts back to South Africa for the first time. Christian Rodriguez is actually 2-1 um, in the UFC, won on Season 5 of the Contender Series. Only lost to his careers to Jonathan Pierce, which is impressive. Jonathan Pierce is a very good fighter. Two-fight win streak, including being the only person so far to beat Raul Rosas Jr., the youngest person on the UFC roster. And actually, last October, was able to get an anaconda choke of Joshua Weems. This should be super competitive. But Cameron Samen's a dog. You already know we're going with Cameron Samen. Love that boy. Man, he looks super good his last time out. Christian Rodriguez won't um, be easy for him, but it'll certainly be a fun one. Moving on next to a catchweight bout between Edgar Chavez and Daniel Lacerda. This is actually a rematch from the UFC Noche card. There was a bit of uh, controversy around that as Edgar Sherez had a uh, standing guillotine locked in. It looked like Daniel Lacerda was out, but he wasn't. The ref stopped it too early. It was actually ruled a no contest, but we're back. We're running it back. This should be lots of fun. Edgar puro Chicali Charez. Daniel Miojo Lacerda. Some interesting nicknames. Edgar is ten and five. Daniel eleven and five. Five foot seven to five foot six in favor of Edgar. Seventy one to seventy in favor of Edgar for the Reach. Wow. And the, both of these men were born in nineteen ninety six, making them twenty seven years old. Holy cow. These two are so similar. Daniel Lacerda. Yet to win in the UFC, he's actually 0 and 4 with a no contest. So far this year, he's been finished by CJ Vergara in a fight he was winning, and of course, got unfortunately no contest in his other one. But other than that, he's lost to Francisco Fernando, Figueiredo, the brother of Devis and Figueiredo, got knee barred in a minute, and got knocked out by Jeff Molina in 2021. So, Daniel, not the hottest fighter. But that's I mean, not, not the house fair either. 0-2 losses to Clayton Carpenter and Tetsuo Taera. And then the no-contents to Daniel Lacerda. But let me just tell you something. I like what I've seen more from Edgar Charez than what I've seen from um, Daniel Lacerda. So I'm actually going to pick Edgar Charez, But I am not. I don't know by what method yet. So once my verdict is out, go check out my verdict. Of course, as I mentioned all the time, follow me on there, ZR2002. And we'll... um. Compare picks, if you will. But, yeah, we're going to go with Edgar Shares to win this one. You know, I'll just say by some round one submission because wouldn't that be hilarious? Next up we have, ooh, one of my personal favorites which came together last minute, Andre Petroski versus Michelle Perhera. And let me just tell you, I'm already going to tell you, I want Andre Petroski to win. I love this guy. I remember him from season 29 of um, The Ultimate Fighter. Um, I'm an Andre Petroski fan. But let me just tell you that um, he's stepping on a short notice, to Take on Michelle Pereira who's supposed to fight Marc-Andre Bauer-Yult. Michelle Pereira moving up in weight from 170 to 185. It'll be interesting to see how it goes for him. Andre is 10-2. And Michelle is 28-11, 6-foot to 6-foot-1. Favorite Michelle Pereira And both have a 73-inch advantage um, Advantage reach. And I should say Michelle's birthday was actually on October 6th. He turned 30 years old. Andre Petroski, 32 years old. Chaparrera so been in the UFC since 2019. In that tenure, he's gone six and two. Never had a boring fight. I mean, his UFC debut lands a flying knee, performance bonus. Loot. One of his lo- his only first loss in the UFC was to Tristan Connolly by unanimous decision. by the night. Probably should have been a split decision. He was goofing off in that fight, doing jumping off the cage, doing backflips. It was crazy. Then his other loss in February of 2020 was when I first got into watching UFC. He unfortunately was destroying Diego Sanchez, then hit him with an illegal knee, and Diego was a bum, and it counted as a loss. But since then, five-fight winning streak um, wins over Cass Williams. Nico Price, Andre Fiallo. most recently in May of 2022, he beat Santiago Panzanibio in a fight at the night by split decision. So he puts his five-fight win streak on the line after not fighting for over a year and a half almost against Andre Petrovsky, it was a perfect 5-0 in the UFC, as I mentioned, came from the Ultimate Fighter. Um, three finishes in the UFC came off his biggest win when he beat Gerald Mearshart by split decision back in August. So, quick turnaround for Andre. You'll love to see it. I, I Honestly, I don't know how he's going to win. I might go by your decision, but I'm riding with Andre Petroski. Love you, man. I'm definitely tagging him in my Insta post. Bantamweight's up next, and we got a Fun one here. Let me just tell you we got some ranked competitors here. As number 14, Adrian Yanez takes on number 13 ranked Jonathan Martinez. Jonathan Dragon Martinez if you will. No nickname for Adrian Yanez. They should call him Adrian. Yo, oh, I have no idea. Jonathan is 18 and 4, Adrian 16 and 4, 5 foot 8 to 5 foot 7 in favor of Jonathan. Both have a 70 inch reach. Both are freaking Actually, Adrian's 29, Jonathan is 29 as well. My goodness, they just, the matchmakers are crazy for this one. Dead even. John Adrian Yanis suffered his first UFC defeat earlier this year in April when he got brutally knocked out by Rob Font in just under three minutes. It was crazy. Just was leaving his chin wide open. But before that, he had been 6-0 and in the UFC with five finishes, four performance of the night bonuses. I mean, this guy was crazy. Oh, my goodness. Came for the contender series, and I mean, head kick knockouts. I mean, round three knockouts, round two knockouts. Fight of the Knights against Davy Grant. Round one finishes. Adrian Yanez, so entertaining. And Jonathan Martinez, I mean, he's on a five-fight win streak of his own. Debut in the UFC in 2018. Since then, he's only lost three fights. Uh, but yeah, since 2021, little five-fight win streaks. Picked up a big finish of Cub Swanson last year. And earlier this year, had a close fight against Saeed Nurmagomedov back in March. I personally did not think he won that fight. I personally thought Saeed won that fight. Just an interesting note, but that was a takedown battle, and Jonathan won the striking battle. So that should be notable. I will still be going with Adrian Yanez. I do still think Adrian Yanez is super good, has amazing boxing. He just has to work on his defense, and he should be able to put Jonathan Martinez out. But i will be interesting to see. What happened because Jonathan Martinez. I mean, he's been knocked out by David Grant before, so I mean, we know this guy can uh, be finished. Heading into our co main event, we're heading down to Women's Flyweight. At least when you look at the rankings, it's near the bottom. As we have number nine ranked Jennifer Maya taking on number uh, 11 ranked Vivian Arujo. Huh. Jennifer Maya, no nickname, Vivian Vivi Arujo. Oh, how clever! Jennifer is 21 and 9. She's actually, wow, she is 35 years old. Yes, wow, she's 35 years old. Vivian Arujo is 37, 36 at the moment, years old. She's 11 and 5. Both women are 5'4". A 4-inch reach advantage for Vivian Arujo though, 68 to 64. Vivian's been in the UFC since 2019. In that tenure, she's gone 5 and 4. Big, uh... Big win, I guess she beat Andrea Lee in 2022. That was her last win. Since then, she's lost to Alexa Grasso and Amanda Hebas, both by unanimous decision. So, I mean, less than impressive UFC career, if I'm being honest. Jennifer Maya, though, debuted in 2018. Oh, actually, really? um, Not the most impressive career either, but, I mean, she fought against Valentina Shevchenko in 2020 for the UFC belt, actually won round two over her. She actually holds a round one armbar of Joanne Wood. Since then, I mean, not done much. She's on a little two-fight win streak with wins over Marina Moroz and Casey O'Neill. Actually, big upset over Casey O'Neill earlier this year in March in London. So, I actually, just I'm going to give this one to Jennifer Maya. I think she might just outbox, maybe even outgrapple Vivian Arugio. I don't know. I don't really expect much from this fight, but we'll see what the two ladies bring to the table. Well, let's get into my favorite fight of the night. I mean, I'm excited for that Cameron Samen fight, the Andre Petroski fight, but, I mean, this fight. Going to be a banger. Number 11 ranked Sodik Youssef and number 13 ranked Edson Barbosa in the men's featherweight division. They will battle in the main event. I love it. I love it. Super Sodik Yusuf takes on Edson Jr. Barbosa. Sodik is 13 and 2. Edson is 23 and 11. 5 foot 11 to 5 foot 9 in favor of Edson Barbosa. 75 and reach to 71 in favor of Edson. Edson man, been around a long time. Turned 37 this year. Wow. So he turned 13 this year. So seven-year age gap. Somewhat notable. Edson, currently 0-3 in main events. I found that very interesting. He's been finished in rounds 1, 3, and 5. So, I mean, that will probably impact what I pick. But he is coming off of a huge upset over Billy Quarantillo. So sort of, was supposed to be sort of a gatekeeper role. But, no, he was not having it. Knocks him out in two and a half minutes with a nasty knee. Super impressive. Edson, been in the UFC since 2010, just an absolute legend. Fight of the Knights, crazy KOs. I mean, that KO of Terry Etim. one of the greatest I've seen when he just flatlined him. Um, He's had uh, losses against Naltz Rome, but he's beaten Bobby Green, beaten Paul Felder. Fight of the night against Tony Ferguson, he's beaten Anthony Pettis, Benil Dariush, Wars against Khabib Nurmagomedov. Kevin Lee even finished Dan Hooker back in 2018. This guy has seen it all, done it all. Happy to have him. But, um, yeah, 1-0 this year, so good for him. As for his opponent, Sodiq Youssef, joined the UFC in 2018, coming off the Contender Series. Since then, almost perfect. I mean, he's gone 6-1, and, and his only loss is a unanimous decision to Arnold Allen. We all know how good Arnold Allen is. <laughs> he gave Max allway a run for his money. Um, but, yeah, Sodik Youssef, I mean, he's had uh, three finishes in the UFC. He's actually coming off of one. But he hasn't fought since my birthday of last year, October first, 2022. So it's been a while since he last fought. That might impact him a bit. But I always love seeing videos of him on his YouTube channel. And I'm actually going to go with Sodik Yusuf by, um, we're actually going to say, not to be too, like, risky. But I, Edson's been finished in rounds one, three, and five. In his other Fight of the Nights, I mean, not Fight of the Nights, main events. So I'm actually going to go with Sodiq Yusuf by round two knockout. Sodiq Yusuf, he's had two knockouts in the UFC in round one. I think maybe this time it's a round two knockout for him. But should be very interesting to see how it goes. Sodiq Yusuf, I will be rooting for you. The winner of this will be fighting up in the featherweight rankings. Loser. Definitely fighting down. But yeah. Should be a should be a pretty good main event. I'm very very excited for that. I always love seeing fighters that I somewhat enjoy seeing. Like so if of and Barbosa. Both guys I like, so it'll suck to see one of them lose, but that's just how it goes. Apologies for that. Um but yeah, that's all I got today, folks. I I, I like how I say that's all I got. But when I went over a minute, over an hour and a half of all sorts of stuff. But yeah, this was a pretty fun episode. I enjoyed talking about it. I'll have to think of some new um surprise topics. I mean I'm almost done with the Hobbit book, so I can maybe talk about that a bit. I do encourage everyone to read before bed. It certainly, does help the mind a bit, and it's always good to dive into a story here and there. But yeah, I mean, we talked about the upcoming boxing events, all the new UFC moves, events, fights that have been going down. If you know what's Contender Series? This series uh, season finale. Little bit of that MLB playoff check in. We talked about Freemasonry a bit, the Illuminati, all sorts of fun stuff. Even went over our NFL week six predictions. And of course, we gave our UFC Vegas eighty one predictions. I love it. Oh we gotta we gotta recap everything. As you know, all my picks. We're going with Emily Dakote, Chris Gutierrez, Irina Alexiev, Terrence McKinney. Uh who do we go with? Did we say Ravina? Did we say Ravina Oliveira is going to win that one on the prelims? Yes, we're going with Ravina Oliveira, Darren Elkins, main card, all the official ones, Cameron Samen. Uh, Who would we go with? Edgar Cherez, Andre Petroski, Adrian Yanez, Jeff Armaia, and Super. So, Deke Youssef, to cap us off. Love you all. Much appreciative. Um, yeah, we should be back next week with another episode. But, yeah, no more damage, Contender series, check-ins. We'll see where we're at in the MLB playoff. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all my listeners all over the world. It means so much to know that just one person listens to this podcast. So thank you guys so much. Have an amazing weekend. Have just a, No matter when you listen to this episode, have an amazing life. Live the life that you want to live. All right. God bless. Hallelujah. I don't know how to end this. See you later.